Have you listened to the new Olivia Rodrigo album? No. You haven't? I have. Okay. I listened to it today. Great. Pretty sure Mulder listened to it before this episode. Okay. Tell me more. Because it gets you all up in your feelings. Oh, all right. And Mulder is all up in his feelings in this episode. This is true. Yep. (laughs) It is. I don't think I need to listen to anything to get me all up in my feelings. The whole album is just her complaining about a dude that broke up with her. Oh. There's two songs on there I like, though. Uh, Brutal and another one I can't remember the name of. Oh. But, you know, it is is what it is. And what it is is a 50-year-old man writing songs (laughs) of teenage angst and then a teenager singing them. Okay. Well, speaking of music and what I was going to talk about, which is that it's almost summer and music you have your summertime anthem yeah oh, brutal by olivia rodrigo <laughs> it's gonna be my summertime anthem oh no i guess i'll have to listen no you know what i'm not gonna <laughs> <laughs> you're just gonna come home all emotional <laughs> well brutal is not really the brutal is one of the songs that's not about a breakup oh it's just kind of upbeat and fun and how brutal it is to be a 17 year old girl and you know i really feel that <laughs> feel i feel that in my soul Well, speaking of 17-year-old girls, we had one of those in this episode. We did. And she disappeared for a while. She she did. She was abducted or ran off or something, still unclear, while they were camping in the mountains of Iowa. Mountains of Iowa. (laughs) Famous for its mountains. And apparently a UFO hotspot. Yes. So, now that we're kicking off with our unofficial beginning of summer and music... Let's add in camping. So we do spend a lot of time discussing what these this family brought on their camping trip. Yeah, 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 we do. What are your essentials for camping in the mountains of Iowa in a UFO hotspot where apparently strange things happen like men's ears get melted off? Right, well, first and foremost, i got to bring my, my custom Harley Davidson. Oh. <laughs> so I can off-road <laughs> okay. on that. All right, yes. A good flashlight. All right. Is it a tactical flashlight? Well, it's got to be. LED, like 10,000 lumens. Yes. <laughs> I watched Danny Gonzalez play with one of those on YouTube, and now I want one. <laughs> I think just my, my hog and my flashlight. <laughs> your hog and your tactical flashlight. Yeah, I think. I think that'd be good. Where are you going to sleep? Are you going to sleep in a tent or a sleeping bag or just on the ground? On my hog. On your, on your hog. Yeah. Didn't um, the Kim Kardashian and uh, Kanye do that bit music video on his hog? I don't remember. I, I do not know what you're talking about. <laughs> I'm, I'm referencing something very timely. Okay. <laughs> well, I, would, I was looking at sleeping bags today thinking of camping. And realized that there's a whole issue with finding ethical down. Makes sense. It does. Now that I've discovered that there's an issue, it makes all all kinds of sense. But now it's hard to, to buy a really good sleeping bag because now I'm concerned about ducks and geese. I thought they made synthetic down. They do. Okay. But I was reading about lightweight versus other things and whatever. Anyway, I fell down a rabbit hole of poorly treated birds. <laughs> so, okay. So I think I'm not going to be bringing a down sleeping bag. What would I bring? Well, I do like the tactical flashlight because it looks like a lot of fun. And you have to have something just in case those white wolves come out to be real nervous around you. Yeah, you can just flash a flashlight at 
<laughs> and blind him with that. They all have that. The strobe. The strobe. <laughs> that or you could just disorient your fellow campers while they're coming back from peeing in the woods. Thinking for the aliens. Oh, I'm thinking about just being just a real jerk. <laughs> want to make sure the aliens can see where i'm at ah <laughs> it's a beacon you're gonna use it come as a get me aliens <laughs> well and my other thing that i want to bring after viewing this episode specifically that i would never have thought of before is an oven mitt <laughs> that's a good idea i have never if you're gonna be inside in the camper i've never camped with an oven mitt before and now that I'm thinking about it, I must not have been cooking over a fire because that does make sense also. Yeah. So it's useful for a variety of reasons. So I'm going to bring, I'm going to do the tactical flashlight also, but also a, an oven mitt. Where are you going to sleep? Uh, probably a hotel nearby. Oh, okay. <laughs> makes sense. I don't think you need the flashlight or the oven mitt then. All righty then. All right. Guess we'll get into the episode. I guess so. <laughs> Greetings, listeners, domestic, international, and extraterrestrial. This is the Cast Files. I'm Dave Reed. And I'm Kristen Riley. I'm a nerd who somehow never saw the X Files when it was on. And I watched it when it originally aired. Today. We are watching and discussing Season 1, Episode 4, Conduit. It originally aired October 1st, 1993. It was written by Alex Ganza and Howard Gordon, directed by Daniel Sackheim. When it would air, 9.2 million people watched it. How does that compare to last week? Oh, uh, let's see. That is down from last week by nearly 2 million people. I thought it sounded smaller. Which is weird, because this is a better episode. Yeah. Squeeze was, uh, oh, I bet that's, that's what why. happened. Yep. Squeeze was not great, and people said, uh, two million people said, nah, I'm done with this. <laughs> I'm curious what else aired that same day, what other people were watching, because you know they were still watching something. Oh, yeah, I discussed it season one, episode one, in the intro. They were probably watching Frasier. Ah, was it the same time? I have no idea. That's why I'm asking. <laughs> they just debuted the same year. Okay, so you're just assuming. I'm making an ass out of you and me. Oh, good. Okay, so you ready to get into it? Let's go. All right, so in this episode, we get a little bit more of Mulder's backstory, which is actually pretty interesting. Synopsis is Mulder becomes personally connected when he and Scully encounter a young boy who is deeply affected by the disappearance or abduction of a teenage sister. I'd say this is the one where Mulder is all up in his feelings. All of the feelings. There's a variety of feelings he goes through. When this opens, we are camping at night at Lake Okaboji. We scan across some scary woods, <laughs> and then across a scary dock, and then a scary fire, and then a scary baby. <laughs> Which is Kevin. It's There's the teenage girl and a younger boy. They're outside by a fire, and the mother is inside a camper. Pretty standard camping situation. Yeah, the mom was like, I'm not sleeping out here. As a mother of a teenager, I'd be like, you guys have fun out there. I'm, I'm inside. The interesting thing is that it does scan the inside of the camper, and I noticed that there is a full cup of cold coffee on a saucer. <laughs> I wrote notes about that, too. <laughs> they show up marshmallows and chocolate to be like, yes, we're camping, as if we didn't already understand that yes. they were camping. 
And I wrote, full cup of coffee, just sitting there. Just full. Not even one sip taken out of it. Almost overflowing. It's ridiculous. But then they need it because they needed some sort of something to do the T-Rex is coming vibrations. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and then there's lights flashing outside and there's basically an earthquake. What we don't know at this point is that they're in Iowa. And I don't know if you've been to Iowa, but there aren't a lot of earthquakes in Iowa. I've never been to Iowa, and I kind of think it doesn't actually exist. Oh. That's one of my X-Files conspiracy theories. Uh, Iowa doesn't really exist. So where did I get my belly button pierced as a teenager? <sighs> North Kodota. <laughs> yep, probably. <laughs> Um, there's basically an earthquake, lots of lights are flashing, uh, the mother is flailing around like a fish on the floor. <laughs> First things, she just drops right out of the bed. She's just on the floor, just flopping around. One, another thing that I found interesting inside the camper, apparently this camper got our attention. <laughs> yeah. Because we just watched everything, all of the stuff inside the camper. As there's the earthquake, the cabinets open and all of these glass saucers and bowls and cups fall out onto the floor. Not stuff that you would put in a camper that you're driving around. Right. And they they have more place settings than we have currently in our immobile apartment. <laughs> Just tons of stuff to fall out of cabinets and shatter. All of this stuff is going on. The mom's flopping around on the floor and then the lights disappear. Everything stops shaking and Kevin starts screaming for his mom. She's making her way to the door on the floor and grabs the doorknob where she burns her hand. She gets a an oven mitt. She opens the door to outside and Kevin is just standing there screaming mom mom mom. Why doesn't he try to go inside? I don't know. It's his camper. It's not like it's somebody else's camper. Maybe he tested the knob and <laughs> recognized it was too hot to touch. I'll, I'll let mom handle that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Well, all and everybody ends up outside eventually, and um, Kevin says that Ruby, his sister, is gone. Yes, but Kevin and Ruby's mom, I noticed she's wearing one of those nightgowns that they get ah, in bulk. Yes, I didn't say anything about the nightgowns. Oh, man, you're right. Everybody has a long nightgown. One other thing that I want to ask, I have a bunch of questions in addition to a bunch of observations about the camper. The doorknob is hot. There was flashing lights. We'll get to some other areas that were hot, but Kevin's fine. The fire is fine. His sleeping bag didn't catch on fire. The grass is okay. Everything else is fine. So just the doorknob, as far as we understand, is hot. <laughs> and, of course, later we'll see, like, the tops of the trees and the sand turned into the glass a little bit. So where is... Very is, specific hot spots. How is this heat and light directed is my question. Very specifically. I guess so, okay. I also looked up some stuff about Okaboji because I was curious. They kept saying the name and they kept alluding to it like it was some sort of crazy place. So I wanted to see if it was a real place. It is a real place. They don't say anything about it being a UFO hotspot like Mulder alludes to later. It has lots of flat terrain. If Again, if you've ever been to Iowa, it's basically flat. But in this episode, they're showing it's surrounded by mountains. So who knows where this is actually. They also say that Okaboji is near Sioux City, Iowa. In actuality, it's more than 110 miles apart. And Mulder mentions trout fishing. There are no trout in Lake Okaboji. <laughs> 
So I think they just found the name and really liked it. I mean, it's a good name. It is a good name, but I wanted to, you know, in case you're from Lake Okoboji, give you a little bit of, I don't know, realness to this. And if you have been to Lake Okoboji and experienced UFOs or hotspots or earthquakes, let me know. Yeah. <laughs> so we get into the actual story now. So that was the whole setup. And I know it took forever, but we had to talk about what was inside that camper. Right. We're in FBI headquarters. Scully is talking to Chief Blevins again. Blevins is saying that Mulder has filed a 302 about a tabloid headline. And a 302 is effectively petitioning the FBI to assign a case number. The headline is teen taken from tent by aliens, which I would like to let you know that there was no tent. No. No. <laughs> I think somebody just uh, likes alliteration. Someone does. At the Weekly World News. Yes. And so that's where the two of them, Scully and Chief Blevins, talk a little bit more about Mulder's past to get further explanation about why this specific case might be interesting to Mulder. We know about Mulder's past at this point, and we'll get some more, so we won't go too far into, into it at this point. It's just basically reminding us all of what we already know. Yeah, it's uh, Chief Exposition Blevins. Yes. Uh, Scully goes down to the basement <laughs> and challenges Mulder on the validity of his 302 request. Mulder replies that the disappearance occurred at Lake Okoboji, and he's just real smug about Lake Okoboji. It gets all <laughs> up in her face like he's going to kiss her and just you... Lake Okoboji, Okoboji, Okoboji. You really like calling him smug. That's the facial expression he keeps using. I think it's just his face. No, he has another his face. handsome, handsome face. He, I have also, in my defense, called him so handsome that I am ashamed of myself. <laughs> <laughs> so he lets them know, lets Scully know it's a UFO hotspot. Same types of things. He tells her about a UFO sighting, a well-documented UFO sighting from 1967 that involved young Girl Scouts. And one of the young Girl Scouts turns out to be Darlene Morris, who is connected to this current case because Darlene Morris turns out to be the mother of the missing teenager. So the next day, Mulder and Scully go to Sioux City, Iowa. Oh, hold on a second, because Mulder says something in that scene oh. that I feel deserves... More than scrutiny, it deserves scorn and oh. derision. She says something to the effect of, why are we doing this? And he says, isn't this the essence of science? Taking tabloid headlines and looking into them? <laughs> oh, yes. No, that is not the essence of science. That is the essence of my grandmother. <laughs> now, when we visited her, I liked looking at these things and reading about Bat Boy. And oh, I love bad boy but no that's not the essence of science i did not form a hypothesis based on on bad boy and then a theory and then test my theory and then finally come to a conclusion about bad boy no i just read about that and that's the end of it okay all right where is bad boy today though is he still bad boy is or is he batman <gasps> is he batman <laughs> he's batman well, I'm sorry, guys. I did not look up this before <laughs> this recording. So now I have to do that. We didn't do the science. Oh, man. I didn't. Bad boy, we'll, we'll come back to you. For now, we're going to Sioux City, Iowa with Mulder and Scully to the Morris residence. That's where Darlene Morris is. She introduced, she welcomes them into the house. The scene was so similar to when they showed up at the military 
household. Yeah. And I kept expecting planes to fly over. Yeah. <laughs> it was exactly shot for shot the same thing minus the planes. Uh, he looks at all the pictures, though. Yeah. And then he gets to the one at the very end of Ruby as a young girl, and he turns from spooky molder to creepy molder. Oh, yeah. Just the way that he's caressing her in, oh! her, little, in her little bathing suit. <laughs> what are you doing? It was... Poorly directed? Why? Yes, Daniel Sackheim. What is wrong with you? <laughs> a childless man groping in a picture of a small girl in a bathing suit. Bring back Harry Longstreet. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but he does do a pretty decent job for the rest of it. That was a real <laughs> crazy shot. Inside, they're questioning Darlene. So we find out here that Darlene has been divorced. The way that they handle this whole scene is really bizarre to me. So I looked up divorce rates in 1993 <laughs> versus 2021. I read this a completely different way. I read this as the father kidnapped her. They do allude to that briefly, but the father is never mentioned before. Or, so, or, after. or after. Right. The dad has pieced out of this whole relationship. He's off either starting his own new family or he's not kidnapping. Maybe he's in that biker gang. He's not kidnapping a teenage daughter. He's not. It was a stupid question. So anyway, back to the stats. <laughs> <laughs> I looked up the, the stats on the CDC website. There were a lot of different areas. I just found this one because I could find the 1993 provisional data and the um, data for 2020 because we're still early 2021. And in 1993, there were 4.6 divorces per 1,000 population. In 2020, it was 2.7 per 1,000. So it's actually it's reduced <laughs> since this weird... I think it's probably because less people are getting married. I don't know. I didn't do any more. I just wanted to compare. Yeah. Also, I don't know why I mentioned that because that's not what this podcast is about. No, it was just a stat that I looked up <laughs> and I look up some more stats later. So stand okay. by for that. Can't wait. Darlene says, no, it wasn't the husband. We never hear about the husband ever again. Even when his daughter's in the hospital. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. She comes back and she's in a coma and he's still in the biker gang, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry, but um, her dad is not cool enough to be in this biker gang. How do you know? How do you know who her dad is? Because I know. Maybe her dad is Donald Gibb, the bartender at the bar. Oh, is that his actual name? That's his actual name. Because his name is Kip. Kip. I'm calling him either Donald Gibb or Ogre in my head the entire time. Okay. After that conversation at the table, Mulder tries to talk to Kevin, and he finds Kevin watching TV and drawing on a pad of paper. Pretty standard what, eight-year-old behavior? Yep. Except the TV is just static and the kid is engrossed in it. Now, if the TV had been literally anything else, it would be pretty standard, but it's static. It's... Or if he said, they're here. <laughs> yeah, it was definitely an... Also standard. An ode to that. <laughs> Mulder is asking to see what Kevin is writing. And did you write a note about that? I, you made a comment. No, I didn't write a note about that. I wrote a note about that when they were still at the kitchen table. And oh. Darlene is, says to Mulder, they took her, didn't they? And he must be like biting the inside of his lip <laughs> or like digging his nails into his palms because he wants to say, yes, yes, it was aliens. <laughs> aliens took her and I'll get her back. I promise. But he just changes the subject. 
It, it takes a couple beats, though, but he's he Duchovny does a very good job of portraying how bad he wants to say, yes, it was aliens. I believe you. <laughs> very good job, David Duchovny, in this scene, actually. See? The scene right before it was creepy Mulder, <laughs> and the scene that you're describing is emotional Mulder. He's uh, it's all up in his feelings. Yes, he is. All right, so he talks to Kevin. Kevin didn't talk to anybody when they first came in. He was too engrossed in recording his static on his paper. This is when you said, look with your eyes, not with your hands, oh, Mulder. Yeah, because <laughs> yeah, Mulder says, can I see it? And I'm like, see with your eyes, not with your hands. Yeah. <laughs> is what the kid should have said. It's what I would have said when I was eight. Yeah, but he didn't. So Mulder looks at it, it's ones and zeros. Obviously binary. Even in 1993, I think anybody who knows anything about computers would just look at it and go, oh, that's binary. But they seem confused about it. Like, they have to be told what it is later. Oh, they're confused about it later, too. (laughs) (laughs) Mulder takes the images. I'm hoping that he didn't just steal this from this child. But he takes what the child has written down to the Sioux City Police Station, faxes the drawings to Danny Bernstein at the FBI cryptography section. They're on the phone, Fox Mulder... Fox. What a name. I can't, I'll never get used to it. Mulder promises Danny tickets to a Redskins game as compensation for attempting to decipher the binary string. I don't think he says binary string. I think he says something about breaking the code and he'll give him some tickets. So whatever. Basically what we're supposed to get out of this is he wants it. He wants a rush job on it, which is fine. They're still at the station. They're talking to Sheriff Jack Withers. Jack Withers was a former classmate of Darlene Morris, the missing girl's mother. Jack Withers is just the worst kind of person. He's a sheriff. He's a cop. He's a cop sheriff. He explains that Darlene has been telling stories of her UFO sighting since the first grade, which is alluding back to the story that we heard about at the beginning. And most people in the area dismiss it as her as having an active imagination. We didn't say earlier in when Mulder mentions this UFO sighting, there's photographic evidence also. So there's pictures, not surprisingly, but there they are. And the sheriff is just trying to write her off as basically being not any of his concern. He also says that Ruby, the missing teenager, is a well-known wild child and that there's no evidence for them to bother with and no ransom note. So he wants to just dismiss this out of hand because he doesn't believe Darlene and he doesn't believe Ruby is worth his time. What he says exactly is that she is no prom queen. Most people aren't. Literally. There's like one prom queen every year. So <laughs> most people, 99.9999% of people are no prom queen. What does that even mean? It doesn't mean anything. You're an idiot, Jack Withers. It's He could he could have said anything. She's no princess. She's no But he didn't. He anything. said no prom queen. What I... Like she came in second. <laughs> <laughs> and he's shaming her for that. Wow. <laughs> she was the runner-up <laughs> prom queen. And, yeah, yeah. He has no time for anyone who, if, he's the, if you ain't first, you're last. Wow. In, in the prom queen biz. He's the guy on Facebook these days who's like, participation trophies? No. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> he's way ahead of his time. I guess so. But if the cops are only investigating anything that happens to prom queens, <laughs> I feel like they've got a lot of time on their hands. Right. Yeah. <laughs> With that time, he says that he's pulled her out of uh, so many parked cars. Why are you pulling people out of cars? Oh my gosh, stop. <laughs> <laughs> She's just like parked at a red light. 
And he rolls up on her and grabs her. It's you again. You didn't win prom queen. He's got her by the collar. What a rude man. Come on, Jack Weathers. Leave this person alone. Chill out, man. So he's not doing his job. And he's very, very clear that he's not going to. Mulder and Scully leave the facility after all of this and find a note on their car. The note turns out to be directing them to the public library, which is across the street. And they meet up with one of Ruby's friends through the book stacks doing that whole scene. Ruby's friend says that Greg Randall, Ruby's boyfriend, got her pregnant and that the two had been planning to leave town. Ruby's friend also (laughs) says... says when Scully asks oh so you're one of Ruby's friends she says Ruby didn't have friends she just had people she hung out with which is what we usually call friends which is what what do you what especially in high school what do you do with your friends in high school don't you just hang out pretty much what we did at different places you hang out at your house you hang out at your friend's house you hang out in the mall you hang out in wherever kids hang out these days yeah But basically, you all just get together in a group and... Hang out. Yeah. There's not a whole lot to it. There's hanging. Agreed. Man. feel bad for her. She doesn't know what a friend is. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, She disappears, but right before she does, she directs Scully and Mulder to the Pennsylvania Pub. Why is it called Pennsylvania Pub? It must be on Pennsylvania Street. Oh, that could be right, because I... I actually wrote I wrote a note about this too. The Pennsylvania pub in Iowa. Yes. Not so, Pittsburgh pub. Like I would understand if you did like a Pittsburgh pub in Iowa, like the Steelers theme, Pirates theme, sports bar sort mm-hmm. of thing. Like maybe Iowa has a bunch of Pittsburgh. Okay, I was like, that's still not in tra- Iowa. Transplants. <laughs> Got it. Yes. But just the state of Pennsylvania <laughs> in general is like the west side of the bar. Uh, Pittsburgh, the east side of the bar is Philadelphia, and they argue with each other. <laughs> I don't. I don't know. I'm assuming that it's one, the name of the road, or two, the shooting location that was available. I guess, but I like this bar because you come in and immediately I'm like, oh, they're playing the Almond Brothers. Nice. Hey, hang on a second. This is not the Almond Brothers. It's just some Almond Brothers knockoff ah. band. And in my mind, I started calling them the Almost Brothers. <laughs> The Almost Brothers the down almost at brothers. the Pennsylvania Pub. At the Pennsylvania Pub. And then we see the bartender who is Ogre from Revenge of the Nerds. All those you know, feminist text Revenge of the Nerds oh. movies. <laughs> Highly non-problematic and progressive no. Revenge of the Nerds movies. No, but why does that work with the Almond Brothers? Uh, no, it's just with the bar. It's oh, okay. part of the bar. Okay, I see. All right. I was just ex- I was excited when I saw his name in the credits because I was like, I know that guy. Ah, got it. Okay. And then I saw him I was like, I still know that guy. <laughs> the reason that they end up at the Pennsylvania pub is because that's where Grand- Greg Randall works, the guy who allegedly got Ruby pregnant. They meet the bartender, Kip. He is a fantastic character. So I also really enjoyed him, even though I didn't have any of the other backstory. (laughs) Because surprise, surprise, I haven't seen Revenge of the Nerds. And I never will. He's talking to them. They're they're just chatting basic stuff about Greg. Greg hasn't shown up in three weeks. If you hear, if you do see him, tell him he's fired. And as he's pouring a draft, Mulder sees an awesome tattoo. He has a bunch of tattoos because it's a biker bar. 
One of them, though, is a flying saucer. It was drawn on him by an eight-year-old. It was an awesome tattoo, according to Mulder. <laughs> yeah. And I've decided that I'm. it's going to be the first tattoo of many in this series if we get to a certain number of people subscribing. Oh, I'm what? I'm start getting some of these random tattoos. Shut up. Really? Yep. yep. Oh, that's fantastic. So what number do you think we should get to before I get this dinky little UFO? Oh, uh, as far as subscribers go? Yeah. I have no idea what number to say. What's going to be too low and what's going to be too high? <laughs> I know. It's such a bad tattoo. <laughs> 2,000? All right. 2,000 5,000. Okay. <laughs> we get 5,000 subscribers. All right. If we get 5,000. Like across platforms. Okay. Okay. Then I'll get this little UFO. I'm going to get Kip's tattoo. All right. <laughs> so, all right. So subscribe, guys. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this is also how Mulder gets into the conversation with Kip about pretending that Mulder is not a believer. He says something about these people being, I don't know, making stuff up. I can't remember exactly what he says, but he's basically anti-Mulder in this scenario. And that gets Kip to show him his ear. And he says, so you've never seen, you've never heard of Lake Okboji. And Mulder pretends that he hasn't. That's when Kip shows him his ear and his ear is just melted, essentially. He says, you'll get a killer sunburn in the middle of the night. Good line. It was a good line. That whole situation was well done. So I, this is why I looked up Donald Gibb and his ear to mm -hmm. see if he actually had like a like a wound or a scar for the ear. Mm -hmm. I couldn't find that he did because it's so, again, specific. Mm-hmm. So it didn't singe his hair off or any of the rest of his face. Right. It just got his ear. The aliens in this area are very specific about where they heat things up. It's, yeah, that's a good point. Because it wasn't, it didn't creep down into his jaw or down his neck or yeah. into his hair. No, just his ear. Interesting. I have seen people with haircuts less precise. <laughs> you are currently looking at someone <laughs> with a haircut less precise. Well, you know, it's hard to cut your own hair. Just why I've just stopped cutting my hair. <laughs> that's a that's a great scene. If you haven't seen it, go go back and watch it. It's I love Kip, so maybe I'll watch something else that he's in that's not <laughs> Revenge, Revenge of the Nerds. That's not just uh, sexual assault. The series. Yes, yeah. not not interested. It's not my genre, thanks. <laughs> uh, and this is where we get back to the government stuff. It's the next morning and NSA agents burst into Scully's hotel room demanding to know where Mulder is. So I have to say, how does the NSA not know which room Mulder's in when he is registered at this hotel under his name? They can't even figure out which room he's in? I have a theory for this. Okay. I think they're bad at their jobs. I think... <laughs> Because when they kick in her door, because they just kick in her door, yeah. guns and flashlights, like they don't, she's an FBI agent. If she was ready, they shocked her. They surprised her, didn't announce themselves. She could have shot back and been well within her rights. Yes. So yes, bad at their jobs there. And then the reason they don't know where he is is because he's staying at an entirely different hotel. <laughs> okay, that's true. <laughs> because when they, when they get to him, because she has to tell them where he's at, when they get to him, you look outside his door, and he's got a hallway with a vase full of roses. It's really nice. Outside his room, her room goes to the parking lot. Right, she's in a motel. She's in a motel. He's like five stars. <laughs> he's at uh, the Hyatt Regency or something like That's that. That's not five stars. Well, I, I don't know hotels. <laughs> <laughs> the Hilton something something. 
The Holiday Inn Express. He was at the Holiday Inn Express. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, no. We've got to get you out more. <laughs> <laughs> Can't you wait for our next vacation? <laughs> I'm planning it. <laughs> You're not in charge of accommodations ever. <laughs> no shade to any of these hotels, actually. I've stayed at all of them. <laughs> Especially if you want to sponsor our podcast. <laughs> no, but you equating... <laughs> That's what I'm saying. The Holiday Inn Express is five stars if they want to sponsor our podcast. Okay. You know what? Again, no shade to that. I've definitely stayed in lots of those. <laughs> all right. Um, oh, one last comment on this whole scene. Scully is not wearing a long nightgown. No, she's got regular pajamas. She's classy lady. It's true. I guess. So the bulk PJs are for extras <laughs> or side characters. They're not extras. They're... Featured? Yeah. Featured characters. We're going to get to the bottom of this nightgown situation. <laughs> <laughs> it's our conspiracy theory. Yes. It's our second one because I had one earlier this episode that I don't remember what it is. Well. I'll we'll have to listen to the <laughs> You'll find out. figure it out. You'll find out during editing. So all the, the NSA is there not knowing anything. Um, Mulder is quizzed by Agent Holtzman, who is there because of the, remember the binary code that Kevin was writing when looking at the staticky TV? Because if you don't, that's what he's there for. The person that Mulder was promising tickets to has come through, broken some of this code, and now the NSA is busting indoors and waking people up in the middle of the night. The reason is the NSA is involved is because apparently it's the defense satellite transmission location. Some data. Something about a defense satellite that no one is supposed to know about. But apparently the aliens know about and... Wanted the boy to know. And Kevin wrote it down. It doesn't really come back later, but I have a feeling that the information where the satellite is from is part of what comes next. Well, before we move on... Okay. I want to mention that Mulder gets all stand your groundy. He's like, I don't care if you're the NSA. I don't care if you're the Vatican bodyguards. I feel like I need to mention that the Vatican bodyguards, they're called the Swiss Guard, and they are hardcore. Oh. They are like Navy SEAL army ranger do not mess with these guys tough well it would make sense because of how much money's in the vatican right <laughs> but if there was one group of people that i'm going to back down from it's the swiss guard <laughs> okay Mulder and Scully go to the Morris residence that's being ransacked by the NSA agents later that day. I don't know how much time has passed. I don't know why it took them so long. The NSA is just tearing this house apart, looking for any other codes, probably. They're in the boys' room when we see them and just flipping through kid picture books and stuff, just tearing pictures off the wall, everything. They're just destroying this house. Yeah, the great, they, they're carrying out boxes of evidence and mm -hmm. you can clearly see inside that evidence coloring books yeah it's they're just taking anything with paper uh they also take the kid and the mother away and they're carrying they're not carrying them they're leading them out the door and then they separate the mother and the child right at the last minute and throw the kid in his own car and the mother in a different car and so they just split these two up which i am positive is not legal he's eight right you have to have parents either permission or for them to be present to question a child it's just wild. Why would you do that? Now you've got this scared, crying child in a car. What is the end game here for the NSA? Are they... Okay, so they terrify the kid. Yeah, for the NSA, it could be torturing the kid. 
fine. <laughs> but they're not going to get anything out of him. They'll get whatever he thinks they want to hear out of them. Oh my gosh, what is an eight-year-old going to tell you? Where he hides his matchbox. Comes. I was thinking that he stole a matchbox <laughs> from his friend Tommy last year and never gave it back. And that's, you know, the biggest secret that an eight-year-old has. After the boy and the mother are taken away, Mulder goes up to Kevin's room and the NSA is still just kind of picking through stuff. And he makes a comment about how how neat they're being, pointing out that they're being destructive for no reason. The NSA leaves and Mulder looks out the window of Kevin's room to see the camper from the opening scene and realizes that the top of the camper has been burnt. It looks like somebody set a, a gasoline fire on it, actually, which is maybe how they did that. <laughs> <laughs> Props to the prop department. <laughs> so Mulder goes outside and collects some samples from the blistered camper roof. We never see the samples again. I don't think he was really collecting samples as much as just peeling stuff off the camper. He did look like he was peeling. It looked like he was going to taste it at one point. (laughs) But I'm assuming he was supposed to be collecting it for FBI stuff. Tastes like burnt camper. (laughs) They leave there. They go to um, the FBI regional office in Sioux City. And that's where they meet Agent Lisa Atsumi. And she explains the 77 pages of binary code that they recovered from the Morris residence that have now been deciphered. All 77 pages. So the NSA was concerned about the satellite location or whatever. And Lisa is telling them about what's on the rest of the pieces. So the data is including images of Da Vinci's Universal Man, a short animation of a DNA double helix, and a short segment of music from the Brandenburg Concerto. There's also some lines from the Koran and a Shakespearean sonnet, which Mulder comments by saying, it's almost like someone's switching the channels. Which I thought was pretty clever. I did too. I that was it. that was a good callback to what Kevin was doing, why it was in front of TV, all of this stuff. So that makes sense. And this is where the satellite location comes in, in my mind. I think the aliens have, or whoever is doing this, has snippets of a lot of stuff. And that just happened to be in there. Because you know the NSA and the government are sending all of this information out, just like other radio waves and TV waves and satellite waves. So that information is somewhere Mm -hmm. and if they're just snipping little bits of it they could have inadvertently captured something secret well i think we learn later exactly why they're sending him these specific snippets well yes that is also true very interesting but i i don't know i'm curious i think that the nsa probably is involved by accident (laughs) right yeah the next time we see darlene and kevin morris is when they are being ejected from the nsa building because i don't think they found anything else no because they weren't doing anything they weren't spying for Russia right, or right. anything. I'm curious how long this time has been since they ransacked the house and took them into custody and then ejected them from the NSA building versus what a real timeline would look like, just out of curiosity. While Darlene is talking to Mulder and Scully, Kevin wanders off to stare at some CCTV cameras. In this shot, the eight-year-old walks up to the security desk and there's like 12 tiny little TV screens. Each of the TV screens is showing a different location. Basic security monitoring stuff, except that it's displayed on a wall instead of where the guard is looking because the guard is actually looking out toward (laughs) everybody with the TVs behind him. Yeah, the screens are just like over his head behind him. He's There's no way he's seeing. No, he's not watching them. I didn't even 
think about that. Another thing is, they act like this is a strange thing, but literally anybody who's paid any attention to a child who walks into any facility where a CCT camera is pointed at the door and there's a little video and the kid sees themselves on the screen (laughs) will know that kids will just stare blankly at CCTV cameras and if they are featured on the camera, they'll do a little dance. (laughs) Every kid ever, at least up to age eight, if any of those screens had popped Kevin up on them, he would have done a little dance. He wouldn't have just been standing there. The only reason he wasn't doing anything is because he wasn't currently being featured on the screens. All makes perfect sense. It really does. Can you guys tell that I'm a mom? (laughs) So then Darlene leaves um, and she drags Kevin away from the TVs. At that point, Mulder and Scully are driving, and Mulder explains that he believes Kevin is a conduit. They said the thing in the thing. (laughs) They said the thing in the thing. That Kevin is the key to whatever or whoever took Ruby that night. They're driving, and Scully thinks they're going somewhere else. It turns out they're going back to Lake Okoboji. While they're on the way, uh, Scully says that there's no evidence of a missing person. She said No, she said there's no evidence of a kidnapping. I think, yeah, she said there's no evidence of a kidnapping. Okay. Isn't a missing person evidence of a kidnapping? I guess there's no other physical evidence because if she just left, she would just be a missing person, not a kidnapped person. I'm just saying a missing person is evidence of a kidnapping. It's not rock solid, <laughs> but it's evidence. It's Something has happened, yes. Keep looking into it. They go back to the campsite and notice that they're doing some extra investigating. It's daytime now. That's where they notice a line of trees that have been singed with the extreme heat that you alluded to in the beginning. Mulder goes over to the lake, picks up a chunk of glass in the sand. When sand turns to glass, it's caused by extreme heat, like lightning. Mulder makes a big deal out of this. He says, have you ever seen this happen before? It has to be at least 2,500 degrees Fahrenheit in order to do this. Do you think lightning could do this? So I googled it because I thought, yes, that sounds normal. (laughs) And it turns out that Lightning can be 50,000 degrees Fahrenheit. (laughs) Mulder says 2,500. Lightning is 50,000 degrees. So I looked into it even more, a little bit further, and it says that air is a very poor conductor of electricity and gets extremely hot when lightning passes through it. So lightning can heat the air to five times hotter than the surface of the sun. That's hot. So that sounds like, yes, if lightning struck sand, glass could form. We need a jingle science corner with Kristen. Yes. I also looked into this a little bit further, and another resource that I found said that lightning is hotter than lava. Lightning is hotter, it's so much hotter than lava. Lava is 2,240 degrees Fahrenheit. So it could not turn sand into glass. (laughs) According to Mulder's determination of extreme heat, lava is a poor glass maker while lightning is a phenomenal glass maker at that point a wolf comes out of the woods it's a white wolf and it starts whining and scratching at the ground and looking really uncomfortable it's kind of weird because the way they shoot it i was so confused why there's just a wolf here yeah and he's like looking david duchovny in the eyes (laughs) right like they're gonna swap bodies or something oh my gosh if this was a 90s body swap i would well still be in i'm obviously in because we're doing this (laughs) um so he sees the wolf and so my first thought was is the wolf white because of the lightning (laughs) does extreme heat make wolves white i was trying to figure out why there was a white wolf in iowa and so i did some more googling (laughs) 
<laughs> Science Corner with Kristen. And it turns out that there's only about 6% of wolves outside of the Canadian high Arctic tundra that are all white. Oh, wow. So the likelihood that this wolf would be white is very low. 6%. Well, <laughs> yes. Now, the wolf takes off into the woods. Mulder chases it. Oh, Mulder's holding, like, papers? Yeah. And then he, like, hands them to Scully, but he, like, puts it up against her body. He's expecting her to grab it, and then he runs away. She doesn't touch him. They just fall to the ground. <laughs> I missed that. I must have been Googling He wolves. just puts them up against her, lets them go, and they just hit, hit the dirt. Oh, that's, It's so funny. That is great. I missed that. Both times we watched this. So now he's chasing this wolf into the forest, which seems like a bad idea. And he chases it to two other wolves, which are, guess what color? Red. Yes. White. Blue. <laughs> They're all Oh, jeez. <laughs> so two more white wolves. What is the chance of that? But they never say... 6% this. times 3. <laughs> or divided by 3, maybe. Yeah, because times it's 18% and gets the percentage gets higher. <laughs> this is bad math with things. <laughs> the wolves are obviously on a grave. It's an obvious grave. Why would the wolf come up to a human? Why would a wild animal come up to a human to then lead it back to their food source? I don't know. And are wolves carrion? Do they eat? Yes. Dead? Oh, well, science with Krista. (laughs) They will eat found food. But what, there's a thing that really bugs me here. Mulder just fires a shot into the air to scare them off. Yes. No! Gun safety. Why do I know more about gun safety than anybody in the FBI? This is frustrating. Fire it into the dirt. It's not going to go anywhere. It's not going to hurt anybody. Make sure you don't hit a rock because there's a chance of ricochet. Just fire one into the dirt next to your, not next to your foot, but you know, a few feet away from your feet. Don't just fire a shot randomly in the air. It lands. It eventually lands. It doesn't just take flight and go into orbit. Basement molder is all of the FBI. I'm just, I'm... <laughs> it's frustrating to see so much like poor gun safety in this show sometimes. This is America. This is America. Don't <laughs> catch you slipping, yo. <laughs> they call the sheriff in because he's got jurisdiction over this area. They find out that the body in the grave is Greg Randall's body, the boyfriend who went missing. And at one point, they're talking about that. Greg's under the pile of rocks. Mulder and the sheriff are talking, and Mulder says, it's, what's her name? It's Ruby's, oh, it's Ruby's boyfriend. And the sheriff says, Ruby had a lot of boyfriends. (laughs) Just because she's not the prom queen doesn't mean she deserves all of this hatred. She's the first runner-up prom queen. (laughs) You know what? That's good. That's a good placement. There's nothing wrong with second place. So Mulder has disturbed the crime scene, and then he's digging around in Greg's body and his pockets and finds his wallet. Inside the wallet is a note that Mulder reads, and the note says, Dr. Jack Fowler, August 7th, 2.30. The not-Ruby's friend in the library had mentioned that Ruby was going to see Dr. Jack Fowler about the pregnancy, that it was Jack's baby, all this stuff. They, uh, the sheriff actually does one thing as far as his job for the not prom queen <laughs> and calls Dr. Fowler to see if Ruby was going. Finds out that it was Tessa. Tessa's actually the one who was pregnant with Greg's baby. They do a handwriting analysis and they find, matching it to the, the note on the car, they find out that, oh, it's Tessa. Tessa, by the way, is the name of the not friend of Ruby. Then they 
they bring in Tessa. When they bring Tessa in, Mulder and Scully are talking to her. Scully says, well, you've waived your right to an attorney. And I just want to take a much shorter break than David's gun safety and just say, <laughs> don't do that. Don't waive your right to an attorney. I wrote down the exact same thing. Don't do that. Never do that. Don't do it. Always have an attorney present. This is not legal advice because we cannot legally give advice. But don't ever waive your right to an attorney. No, don't do that. Ever. Because then Mulder goes all bad Mulder. Oh, or bad cop. Yes, Mulder does bad cop and I don't like bad cop Mulder. Oh, he's he's rude. I don't like it. Still sexy as hell. <laughs> but they, rude. Yes. I'm sure he's bad in other ways that he will be sexy and bad, but this is not one of them. So Mulder starts losing his mind and says, he starts pressing Tessa. He's yelling at her. He's banging on the table. He's saying all these things because she's waived her right to an attorney. So now he's going to bully her into slipping. And how this goes is Mulder presses her into slipping up and revealing that she killed Greg and that she would have killed Ruby had she had the opportunity. And that's why you never waive your right to an attorney. You're not smarter than them. They have a plan and you're freaked out because you're in an interrogation room. Even if you're innocent, you're going to say something that is going to make you look guilty. Yes. Never waive your right to an attorney. This is not legal advice. <laughs> it's good advice though. <laughs> so that goes down. We know that it was Tessa who was pregnant. We know that it was Tessa who killed Greg. We don't know why the wolves are all white. As far as we know, Ruby's still missing, so we have no idea. Maybe she's in the lake. They mentioned something about dredging that lake. They're leaving. So Scully is arguing that now that the case is essentially closed as far as Scully's concerned with the missing person and who did what and why and everything, she says that they should turn it over to local law enforcement, which if I may remind you, was that sheriff who doesn't do anything unless you're the prom queen, so I disagree. Hard disagree, Scully. But she says it's not an X-File. Mulder refuses and presses on because he still wants to find Ruby. Remember, Ruby's still not been found. We found Greg and his Gregnant ex-girlfriend. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't not do it. How did I not put that together? <laughs> I've been I'm... saying Gregnant in my head the whole time. I'm so disappointed in myself. <laughs> Oh, Tessa's so gregnant. Yep, Tessa's gregnant. And, uh... And then Scully wants to put it away. Mulder doesn't want to because obviously there's still a missing persons case. There's still all of the X-Files stuff. None. This is basically a separate situation that they found out about. Right. It has nothing to do with the X-File or the 302. No, actually that's 100% accurate. Yeah. yeah. This whole, yeah. The whole thing is just a sidebar. Yeah. Good job. I didn't put that together. Yep. Either. So they're leaving. Mulder says he doesn't want to stop looking for a ruby. As he's walking away from Scully, Scully says, Mulder stop stop running after your sister oh and i wrote down "Ooh, scully said it yeah it was rude i didn't like it it's rough but that's your friend and sometimes your friend's doing something that maybe isn't too healthy for them and you're trying to gently get them to stop doing it and eventually it gets too frustrating and you're just like stop stop running after your sister stop drinking drano stop <laughs> you have friends who are drinking drano i tried to gently get them to quit and 
you know, eventually I just had to yell at him. Stop well, drinking is, Drano. This is good advice, Corner. Don't drink Drano. It didn't work out well for them. No. I understand, but it was it was a bad place and a bad time because they're outside that stupid sheriff's location. After that, I don't know why Mulder's still talking to Scully because I would throw a hissy fit at this point. This is emotional Mulder episode, so I feel like he should have had, there should have been something, but. I am okay with him forgiving her immediately. You would. Yes. (laughs) So they go back to the Morris house. The house is empty. The front door is unlocked and there are a bunch of sheets of paper laid out on the floor. The papers are covered in neatly written binary strings. So that's the ones and zeros. And Scully looks at, is looking at it along with Mulder. Mulder sits down and is just looking at it at his feet. So he's in a chair. These papers are on the floor. He's looking at it. Can't make any sense out of it. Scully says something about going to check the bedrooms and she goes up to the mezzanine, looks down. She just glances and looks down and says, Mulder, come up here. Mulder comes up to the top, and it is a picture of... Of Nancy Grace. It is a picture of Nancy Grace. I was going to say Ruby Morris's face, but... It's a picture of Nancy Grace. I guess I didn't pay any attention. <laughs> is it? Does it really look like Nancy Grace? A little bit. That's who I thought of when I saw it. Okay. I was so... expecting a bigger laugh, but... <laughs> <laughs> I did a little bit of digging into this particular scene, and Chris Carter talks about this episode in the X-Files Season 1 DVD with special features, which we didn't watch, but uh, I did find this information. So the huge mural consisting of binary code was, according to Gordon, one of the writers, something that the writers deemed specifically weird and would give you the creeps. He postulated all this information would be regurgitated to Kevin from these extraterrestrial through the television. We have her. She's here. She's okay. The question was, how do you find something that doesn't make sense with until another angle illuminates it? We put it on the ground where you can't really read it and then put the characters on the second floor, which I thought was fascinating. I loved finding how they came up with this whole plan because it took a lot of internal thinking and communication, behind the scenes communication, to figure out the best way to get the ones and zeros across without it just being an NSA satellite location. It's it's really well done, and I've seen it in other shows, this sort of thing before, but they were probably all after 1993, so this might have been the first time. It's really good. I liked it. After that, they drive back to Lake Okoboji and Mulder explains a little bit more about his experience as a child. He's obviously being impacted by this particular case, the missing sister, the young boy, all of this. He doesn't go into it too much, but it just reiterates that, yes, this is a very tough case for him. He's very interested in, in it and he just, he can't, he can't let go. So they're driving, they're talking about it. They end up at Lake Okoboji. It's nighttime and Scully and Mulder follow a trail. While they're walking through the trail. I don't know if it's clear what they're looking for initially. Probably they're looking for Darlene and Kevin, but I don't recall them saying that that's why they were going there. But they hear Darlene yelling and they run to find her. When they do find her, she's on the ground. She's out of breath and she says, it's here. I know it. And at that point, Scully stays with Darlene and Mulder chases after Kevin. Mulder finds Kevin walking toward a bright light. The bright light is coming over a hill, which we saw in episode one, season one, episode one. The bright lights over a hill don't know what it is it looks creepy turns out to be a vehicle in this case it turns out to be dozens of bikers off-roading through the forest an iowa biker gang first of all that seems odd to me i disagree because one it makes sense with the pennsylvania pub it was a biker bar so the bikers
bikers were there. They talked about going to Lake Okoboji. And then there's Sturgis, North Dakota, where all of the bikers go. Plus, there's got to be really good roads to bike on in the flat plains of Iowa. You could just go out for a drive and drive forever. See nothing because it's all flat. But that part makes sense. That's That part's not, my, not where my sticking point is. My sticking point is these bikers are off-roading. And the biker bar is more like a Harley bar. And Harleys aren't off-road bikes. Not at all. So these bikes are flying over a hill, coming up off the ground. They're, these are dirt bike. This is a dirt bike situation. These are not dirt bike riders. No, but the flashes of the bikes you see are not dirt bikes either. Those are... Right. Yeah, those are Harley Davidson. And you don't do that, is my point. I mean, I don't. That was my point. My point is specifically, you <laughs> don't do that. So if you've ever off-roaded on your Harley Davidson, I would also like to know about that. Mulder grabs Kevin. They hit the ground while all of these motorcycles are not hitting them and driving all around them. And it's just a weird circus of bizarro world. But the bikers don't stop either. They just drive off. Never uh, to be seen again. Nope. They're just gone. They're gone. You they can't hear them. We were just here to watch Mulder grab a kid and dive out of the way. Yep. So Kevin says, she's here. I know it. And Mulder basically tells Kevin that it's wishful thinking, even though Mulder has been wishful thinking since he was also eight. And it's like he suddenly, when we're in the face of getting like what he wants, yep. decides that it's not real. That, yeah, he's trying to talk Kevin out of it. No, I know that you want her to be here. I know you think she's here. She should be here. All this stuff. She's not actually here. It's inter It's an interesting turn of events. Turns out she was actually there. Um, Mulder and Kevin run back when they hear Scully screaming. So she's. So we don't hear the bikes ever again. The bikes are gone immediately. Oh. There's no sound. But Scully starts screaming. They run over. They find Ruby lying unconscious on the forest floor. Turns out she's in a coma. And they evacuate her to a hospital in Sioux City. We don't see all of that, but we know that's what happens because we find her um, in the Sioux City Hospital. Scully and Mulder come into the hospital after Ruby awakens. So it's been, I don't know, if it's a coma, it seems like it can't just be a couple of hours, but it, I don't... Yes, comas can be like minutes or years. Comas yeah. are weird. Brain, just brains in general are weird. Brains are weird. I do not have a science corner with Kristen for brains right now. Oh. But so they, they show up. There's been tests run on Ruby so the labs have come back it's been some amount of time but uh, when they're reading Scully's reading her chart and finds that Ruby has some unusual symptoms and Mulder spouts off do you have what he spouted off not specifically what he spouted off but I have I have a, a science corner with Dave for this okay well let me just finish this one thought Mulder is basically identifying all the weird symptoms that Scully is reading off as being caused by prolonged weightlessness. So one of the things she says Ruby does not have is electrolyte imbalance. And then Mulder says his extra long scientific Latin words mm -hmm. that she says yes to. Well, I looked up the actual symptoms of prolonged weightlessness. Mm. And among them are not the two really long words that Mulder says <laughs> that are probably just made up for this show. Oh! <laughs> because I didn't even recognize anything and I'm a medical doctor. Oh, are you? In my spare time. Ah. But one of the symptoms of prolonged weightlessness is an electrolyte imbalance. That would make sense. Which, which Scully said she did not have. I have an electrolyte imbalance right now. I can feel it. And a sunburn. <laughs> <laughs> 
they allude to her symptoms being caused by prolonged weightlessness. Uh, as Scully and Mulder go into the, the hospital room where Ruby is awake, they start talking to her. Ruby's telling a little bit, but not anything really specific. And Kevin is in there and he presses her to tell Mulder by saying he already knows. But before Ruby can answer, it looks like she's going to. Before she can answer beyond she's not supposed to say anything, Darlene comes in and interrupts. She reiterates what she said before. She doesn't want anything else to do with the FBI. She doesn't want any more trouble because all the truth has caused her is trouble since she was in first grade. And now that she has her daughter back, she doesn't want the agents to ever contact them again. As a mother makes sense to me because she she has her daughter back. She wants to move forward now. She wants to make sure that her daughter gets well and continues moving forward. This is crushing to Mulder because Mulder is still inside his own head. His sister is not found. So his open case is still an open case. It makes sense to me that Mulder is not going to find the truth now. He's not going to get the truth now because they're in there and the truth is not in there. Because the truth is out there? The truth is out there. (laughs) No! No! Oh no. (sighs) Fine. So Mulder is disappointed and he stalks off. Scully and Mulder go back to Washington. Scully is reviewing Mulder's hypnotic regression tape concerning his sister's disappearance. In it, Mulder is describing the room, his paralysis, and his sister's cries for help as she's being abducted. He's, again, this is hypnotic regression, so he's saying it as though he were the child in the moment. While we're listening to the Mulder on the tapes, we see Mulder sitting in a church crying while he's looking at his sister's photo, which is a weird and very long shot. The voiceover is Mulder on the tape describing that he can hear a voice in his head, the voice is telling him not to be scared, and that one day his sister will return unharmed. When the psychologist or whoever is doing the hypnotic regression asks him whether he believes the voice, he replies, I want to believe. It's the first time they say that. It is. I want to believe. That's right. So do you have any other details of this open case continues for Mulder? He was very emotional. He was bad Mulder. He was emotional Mulder. He was very forgiving Mulder. That's that's all I've got for the the episode. He was creepy Mulder touching that picture (laughs) of that little girl. Mulder all up in his feelings. He was. He was all over the place. Are you ready for our segments? Let's go. All right. Who are you going to ship? All right, for this one, I am shipping Donald Gibb and Alien Abduction. Oh! He seems like the type of person that would be really happy to be abducted by an alien, and I I want that for him. Okay. He seemed like a nice guy. I like that. (laughs) Thank you. Oh, that's so sweet. I'm shipping the sheriff, whom I do not like, and Lake Okoboji. (laughs) Like the bottom of the lake? If I, I don't know how much of that I can say, but I do like all of the weird stuff that happens at Lake Okoboji. I want stuff to happen to him, to him that nobody believes him for. Okay, like seeing white wolves. Yes. <laughs> and like, somebody telling him there's only 6% of wolves are white. Yes. Okay. I want him to be treated the way he's treating everyone but prom queens. <laughs> So what is your solution? 
ah, to, to the scenario. My, my solution's very simple. Oh. Because I was, okay, I know I've given the sheriff a hard time, mm-hmm. but I did learn something from him. Okay. In order to not be abducted by aliens at Lake Okoboji, mm-hmm. you just have to be a boy. <laughs> just be a boy. So, so my solution is to be a boy. Be a boy. <laughs> gotcha. <laughs> All right. That makes sense. My solution is also very simple okay because when it comes to aliens so far in this show we've gotten actual aliens twice and the best way to get out of any scenario with aliens in this show is to do nothing (laughs) that's true (laughs) because they're gonna do whatever they want yeah (laughs) there's nothing you can do to stop them they will return your daughter when they feel like it (laughs) they will stop murdering your classmates when they feel like it it's just all up to them it's it's them. Okay. All right. So you don't have to do anything. <laughs> do nothing, because it's not going to work. Solid advice. <laughs> you can't even, you can't say to an alien, he's going to kill her. <laughs> no, you're right. So we're four episodes down. Okay. We have now lasted as long as Soul Quest Overdrive. It was a spinoff of the Aqua Teen Hunger Force. Okay. Starring David Cross, Kristen Shaw, H. John Benjamin, some heavy hitters there. Yeah. And Gavin McInnes. I wonder what happened to it. That seems like it could have been good. Seems like you don't recognize the name Gavin McInnes. I don't. He is the founder of the Proud Boys. Oh, okay, I take it back. <laughs> yeah, they uh, they ordered six episodes, four of them aired. And Gavin McInnes, because he's such a cool guy, said that it's because the other cast members were not as funny as him. Oh. <laughs> so the founder of what is now legally a terrorist organization is mad at David Cross for not being funny. Ugh. Wow, that's disappointing. I knew when you said his name that it made it it was familiar, but in the context, I was like, I don't know, just another voice actor? Yeah, I learned a little bit too much about him while fig- trying to figure out why he was on a cartoon with H. John Benjamin. Right, H. John Benjamin seems like a, why didn't that work? Oh, okay. Well, good. We aren't a terror- terrorist group, so... <laughs> Oh, and also subscribe so that I can get that stupid tattoo. (laughs) (laughs) The Cast Files is produced by Kristen Riley and Dave Reed. This episode edited by Dave Reed. You can email us at thecastfiles at gmail.com. You can find us on Twitter at Cast Files. You can find me on Twitter at Dave Reed. That's D-A-I-V-E-R-E-E-D. Music by Hal Six, logo by at Uka Art. That's O O K A A R T. Have a wonderful evening.